Welcome to Who Knew. We are fans of the current series of Doctor Who, and here we discuss our likes, dislikes, and insights into the modern regeneration of the show. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher, or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash whonewpodcast. All our episodes are on whonewpodcast.com. You can leave comments there, or email us at whonewpodcast at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram and Twitter account. Tweet at us at whonewpodcast. And find us on Facebook. Today's episode is episode 12 of season 7, Nightmare in Silver. The doctor takes everyone to an amusement park where the most fun you can have is playing chess. This episode is written by Neil Gaiman, directed by Stephen Wolfenden. It originally aired on the 11th of May, 2013, and was originally watched by 4.7 million viewers. Hi, this is Eugene. Let's introduce ourselves. Hey, y'all. It's Kelsey. Hi, this is Brian. This is Josh, and Wolfenden sounds like a name Chevy Chase made up in Fletch. Yes, I'm I'm Dr. Wolfenden. Hey there, this is Frank. Hello, this is Auburn. The kids succeed in their blackmail to go on a trip in the TARDIS, so the Doctor and Clara take the kids to Hedgewick's World, the biggest amusement park in the universe. As usual for the Doctor, they arrive when it's completely broken down and no longer operating. They meet Webley, who shows them around his dilapidated museum, which includes a display of an actual, but non-threatening, chess-playing Cyberman. After quickly losing a game, the Doctor finds a man named Porridge, the brains behind the puppet Cyberman's moves. Strengthening Carney's stereotypes, he and Webley like to work cons. They also meet a platoon of soldiers stationed on the planet to guard against the Cybermen, who actually haven't been a threat in a thousand years. Unknown to all of them, tiny Cybermites are watching them. They upgrade Webley while the kids complain in the other room. Angie goes to the military barracks, and a little bit later, Artie gets upgraded. Porridge fills Clara in on local history. Over a thousand years ago, the Cyber Wars had been going badly. As the Cybermen constantly upgraded themselves, all that humans could hope for was a stalemate. It took the destruction of the entire Tiberian spiral galaxy to stop them. No more Cybermen, but also a billion, trillion people dead. I like the reveal of the Cybermen at the beginning. I thought that was a good shocker. Yeah. Pulls the tarp back. And it's the old Cybermen from, uh, oh, sorry. The old Cybermen from the, the, uh, Cybus industry? Yeah, the Russell T. Davis era. Yeah. I didn't notice. And again, like, I didn't recall what what was going on in this, uh, what, what the, who the big bad was in this episode. So it was a nice surprise for me. And that they didn't hide it. They, they did it right away. I thought that was good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a great spot to end the cold open with the reveal of the Cybermen. And then we cut right to credits. I was like, that's, that's the perfect spot for that. Yeah. I did like I did like how you know oh I took you to an amusement park and we have a golden ticket mm-hmm. and it's like you're like oh that's funny Willy Wonka that's really really funny but it's foreshadowing that's really important yes. right um, I also felt like when you see the little uh, dust mites when you see the little cyber mites on that one wax statue um, and not really being able to see them very well I thought it was a camera um, like yeah. to, to part of the part of the ruse of the, of the chess game sort of thing or whatever was going on mm-hmm. like. We were going to find out who's looking behind that camera. Um, and then when that wasn't the case, I was like, oh, I still can remember, but I was just looking forward to finding out what, what was going on. I think the actress who played Angie is really 
a great actress because I hated that character. <laughs> I really did not like Angie. I understand what they were trying to do, at least, you know, that she's rebelling and she's still angry and upset about her mother's passing. The whole reason why yeah, Clara has to be there to take care of them because her mom's dead. Yeah. You know, so I understand that, but I don't think it came off well. She just came off so... Cliche. It's very yeah. cliche. I thought she was a terrible actress. Yeah, but I bought she it. Didn't I didn't make it work. Well. <laughs> so. I didn't. I didn't pick up on the um, undertones of that character about her being angry that her mom's gone. I, I don't think we had enough screen time with those kids to kind of. I didn't have an opinion of them. Yeah, they were. Why were they there? Yeah, they felt. They felt I, really tacked on. To be I honest, I felt. I felt in the in overall. I felt that there was a lot. A lot happens in this episode. Well, this is how I'll explain it. This episode is Matt Smith acting against Matt Smith. That's the whole episode. That was the, that was there in the writer's room and they said, hey, let's do that. And then they built a plot to get you to that point. And a lot of it just became contrived and okay, we're gonna have it be this for now, but then that's gonna drop out and we're not gonna care anymore. So uh, it, it, it also felt, Brian, like they had some scheduling conflicts. So this was the mm -hmm. best way to get Matt Smith and mm -hmm. build an episode around it. Yeah, yeah. It also does feel like there was a lot of other story ideas that they're like hinting that they were going to build upon and then they never did. Yeah. Well, like Josh mentioned, I mean, this is not a Neil Gaiman piece that you think about when you think about no. Doctor Who and Neil Gaiman. No. Like, I never go to this. No. As, oh, yeah. So, yeah, there's definitely something that didn't quite work as well as like um, what the doctor's, the doctor's wife. wife. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it, it worked once when I watched it this week because I kept thinking this storyline I could see taken and put back into classic who break it up into four oh, so yeah. they spread it out more mm -hmm. and just some of the farce i mean some of the stuff that uh, the fourth doctor and sir jane did in humor it felt like that what this is trying to be or emulating i mean just clara wasn't as deep as what she's been in the past but she was really well i thought but the way we're used to now she, we'll get to it she should have reacted a little bit differently to be true to the character from the yeah. past and how she's evolved rather than just you no know, this scene and this show is going to be a little bit more tongue-in-cheek so mm -hmm. that's what we're going for so to me that fell a little more of the classic who and when i thought of it that way i liked it a lot more than i did previously one of the fun cybermen episodes i enjoy this as a as one of my favorite cybermen episodes if i was just to say pick a cybermen episode i, I do like this one and i think it's probably as which i didn't know why but i think it's probably what you all just mentioned that it's more fun and it's very um experimental with the cybermen like all the different uh Upgrades. abilities that they have and the upgrades they're definitely much more borg-like you know you get the, <laughs> the in-process assimilations or upgrades or yeah mm -hmm. conversions um yeah yeah i think almost they were embracing a lot of the th they are they were obviously stealing from a lot of things with the cybermen oh my and i think it wasn't yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that was going to be my point is that they were just embracing it. They weren't trying to hide the fact like with the hand, it was either Thing or the Terminator or who knows what it may be. Yeah. But before people listening get angry, the board were a rip off of the Cybermen intentionally first. So. Yes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Right. And so it's going back and forth. Like, I think, yeah, yeah they, they took some things and now they're upgrading their characters mm -hmm. as well. I mean, it's Because very... it, it goes from, it's a Cybus industry model and then it becomes a Mondasian, right? It's a new version. But it's kind of, but it, it, but the chest plate looks like Mon the Mondasian at the end, right? Uh, and then it evolves into the one that looks like it's an X Men, because it's got the big X, and the arc yeah. reactor right in the center. Um, All in this episode? Yeah. Oh. And and I 
And I see the cyclical nature. This was first, the Borg then copied that. And then now the Cybermen are copying the Borg with the upgrading of like being able to withstand uh, some sort of damage done to them. They upgrade to adapt and yes, to resist. Yes, that's the word. Yeah. It's Star Trek, it's always, <laughs> they've adapted. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought the Cybermites were a brilliant idea for that. Yeah. Of how they could update so quickly and all that. But they were just this ugly silverfish thing and just creepy. So I didn't like the look of them, but I think they did I really well with the look bug. of them. I, yeah, they bugged me. Is that what you said? Yeah. <laughs> the renderings of those Cybermites look great. Yeah, better much than, better than the Cybermat. Yeah, better than the Cybermat in closing time. Yeah. And again, this is the second second time in the season where the second to last episode is a Cyberman episode. Mm. And another way you were saying about uh, you know kind of showing that other areas for other shows sleeping in a wax museum is creepy so having the kids sleep there was great <laughs> just <laughs> trying to get up and turn the light on and the whole you know, yeah it's, the it's all the way in the corner it's not, yeah. not even somewhere near <laughs> so i thought that was good i like that but, well speaking of that room that they're sleeping in webley's room it's got a lot of uh i guess easter eggs little little bits of things in there there is on uvani head from the Warriors of Kudlak from the Sarah Jane Adventures. Uh, there's a blowfish head from the episode Kiss Kiss Bang Bang from season two of Torchwood. There is a Shan Sheath head there from the Death of the Doctor, another Sarah Jane Adventures mm. episode. Uh, there's a chameleon from the Faceless Ones, which is a second Doctor story. And then we see the dummy from the God Complex, if you remember the Ventriloquist dummy. Oh, didn't and see it, that in this. Yeah. There's an Ultramancer, a Pan-Babylonian, and a Lugal Kush from the Rings of a Cat. All right. They had a lot of props and storage that they could just grab. And and in the in the research that I did for this episode, I found out that the way that Porridge operates the Cyberman exoskeleton or whatever for the game of chess is a homage to the Turk, an animatronic man that was supposed to be playing chess. It's an automaton, like way back when. And oh. And the Turk was, again, operated from a puppeteer, a human puppeteer. So it was not, it wasn't a, a robot, a primitive robot before computers mm. that was playing against a human. And this was also the, some of the inspiration for the girl in the fireplace. Oh, the Turk? Mm. Yeah, like with, the... with the clockwork men being like an automaton, a droid. Mm. Shout out to Warwick Davis. Um, yes. coming in as the porridge emperor. <laughs> he did well. Really good. Yeah. yeah. He, he, I think he, he gave one of the best performances of the uh, episode. That oh, was very yeah, subtle and, and sincere. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, you could tell he was an A-level actor in this yeah. TV show. <laughs> yeah. Which surprised me that his telling Clara about the whole cyber war, uh, it didn't hit the feels that we are used to in this modern who, where it seemed like it would take that moment to explore that more, where she would react more at the passing of billions of people and the correlation between the doctor killing off races and what the emperor had to do. It just seemed like, I think, I thought they would focus on that a little bit more. Yeah, I thought they were going to as well, but then they didn't. Yeah, I feel this episode is just, it's, it's heavy subject matter treated very lightly. I remember the moment that you're talking about, Frank, and feeling the same thing. Like, in my mind, I went to all these deep thoughts. Yes. But, I mean, she doesn't know the Doctor's history as much and stuff like that. But it's just, it's just uh, again, I just think this episode was treated very lightly. Didn't mean I didn't enjoy it, 
but um right that's what i was saying at the beginning of this is that the tone they had already set they wanted mm -hmm. this to be a different type of tone they wanted it to be lighter mm -hmm. but they dealt with some heavy stuff which so once i got that in the mind because sometimes in the classic who they're still really thoughtful and heavy but it's in the midst of all this other stuff going on so they don't really yeah. focus on it and i think that's where i got that so thing. you know maybe if you were to look at this episode with a, a lot of the subtext that may be there it may feel a little bit more like something neil gaiman wrote um it just wasn't really beefed up only it now to be upgraded so. yeah and <laughs> only now that we're discussing it um later when the doctor is playing himself in chess he has a the the evil doctor or the cyber planner has a line saying that he made a few mistakes in his opening moves you think that's like the writer commenting on the opening <laughs> acts of, of this like eh, don't worry about that yeah just keep watching <laughs> Before we move on, I do want to bring up the opening when the kids land on the so-called moon and the doctor's saying, it's not a moon. The doctor said that before where he's calling it something that it's not to make it sound better. You know, he said that before and other things going, okay, we are on the moon, but it's not a moon, it's this, because it's also this. But it's, I remember the canyons, the companions always bringing him down going, it's a pencil. No, it's a, a high graphic writing instrument that can figure out to do, open up doors or something. It's like, it's a pencil. So I thought he was doing that in the way that he was saying it. It's not yeah. the moon, it's this. It's like, but there's gravity, there's there. I got so lost thinking that it was our moon <laughs> and they built a amusement park on it, but that didn't make any sense as it was going on. So finally, it was like, oh, this is an attraction in the amusement park yeah. that looks like the moon. I thought you were going for a Star Wars reference. That's no moon. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's an amusement park. Uh, I just heard the doctor saying it in such a way that the doctor says it that I didn't believe him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was no moon. Well, it's one of those things from the angle that we first see it. Of course, it looks exactly like a moonscape. Yep. But then when the platoon comes in and you look at the reverse angle of what right. they would be seeing, it's amusement park and wooded areas. And mm -hmm. yeah, so I, I don't know. Sometimes those tricks like kind of help us break too much. Like it's too much distance from the, the piece. Actually, this had the, the the shot where they come running in, the platoon comes running in, had one of the most realistic things in the entire <laughs> episode. Because when they come running in on the wall behind them, it says estimated wait time, 40 minutes. And then they cut to a different angle and it instantly says estimated wait time, 60 minutes. So, <laughs> That's funny. Accuracy. <laughs> yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> I because they like counted the them as coming in for the ride and extended oh, okay. the timing for That's it. That's funny. <laughs> I also like the name of that attraction or, or another attraction, the, the, the Spacey Zoomer. Yes. Yeah. So when he first said that, I thought that was a generic British term for roller coaster yeah. or something. <laughs> I didn't realize it was the name of the actual moon ride. Uh, yeah, I happened to see the billboard before yes. he said okay. it. Okay. But it, but it sounds like just something he would say, oh, a spacey zoomer. Or what British exactly. people would call something. Oh, that's a spacey zoomer. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, sure. That's what they call roller coasters. Sorry, British people. <laughs> I did like that both the kids were having fun in the zero G moon. Yeah. I think we're past nice. that, right? Yeah. yeah and yeah. then as soon as it was done, she went back to her. It was okay. Like, mm -hmm. right. but you could tell she was really having fun. And yeah. Then, so that was and nice. then she turned, a teenager. And then she turned, yeah, she turned yeah. on the teenager attitude. Yeah. <laughs> I was never that kind of kid. If I had fun doing something, I was like, that was fun. I want more. Like, I don't, I never understood that either cliche or, or people who were like that. I didn't have friends like that either. We were like, anyway, go on. It's this generation. They're just ruined. Too cool for school. Yeah. 
Well, when someone when someone like poo poos something like that, that basically wants to not like something that I like, I just think to myself, oh, right, well, I guess I won. I had a good time. You didn't. <laughs> you, <gave me. laughs> you showed me. Yeah. At the barracks, a Cyberman attacks. Using super speed, it takes Angie to Webley and Artie, where she is upgraded. What? You didn't see that coming? <laughs> Doctor puts Clara in charge and goes to find the kids. Clara orders a defensible position rather than allowing the captain to blow up the planet. The doctor discovers the Cybermites and transmits to their base. There, Webley explains that this planet was a repair station for damaged Cybermen who are still there upgrading themselves. He throws Cybermites onto the doctor, who is upgraded to the Cyber Planner. The doctor fights back, hitting them in a mental battle of chess for control of his body and memories. Angie's line when she's being carried away, put me down, I hate you. Uh, I hate you. Okay. You win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think like whoever wrote this didn't seem to have kids, or it was aged. It was aged up in casting, maybe. I, the thing well, is, I think about the kids they do have. I think he has lots of kids, doesn't he? I know he has like one one young kid now with um, his current wife. I think he has kids from a previous. Obviously, nope. he's sick of kids. Yeah. No, he loves kids. He writes nothing but kids books. That's what's so weird. Like he does do a lot of children's literature, and yeah. I, I like Webley's conversion, the way the prosthetic looked, mm -hmm. because under certain lighting conditions, his right eye looks like that thing, go, like it's hollow and it goes into the back of his skull. Mm -hmm. And when they lit it that way, I was like, that's really creepy and cool. But then other times when it's lit like really well, you can see the uh, the mesh so that the actor can see through that eye patch, mm -hmm. if you will. Well, I've been, wa I've been watching the show Doom Patrol, which I've been loving, but um, the cyborg um, prosthetic that he wears on his head never looks real to me. Yeah. Never looks like it's actually connected to his head. This looked 10 times better. Yeah, but I think that's why I like Doom Patrol because it embraces a sort of fun aspect. I don't think that's meant to be fun. That's meant to just not, that's just a bad job as far as like it. The piece itself isn't bad. It does, it does not seem like it's connected to him. I think it's be also because it's distancing itself from the Justice League, the, uh, the Snyder version. And I, because because I like the character more, so I think I'm more forgiving of the bad prosthetics right. in that show. Well, I guess you I guess you win. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought the whole idea of a punishment platoon was very Doctor Who. I feel like I've maybe it's just from watching this previously, but I feel like that's a theme that's been used before. Like like you feel like something's official, but then you find out that they're actually like being mm -hmm. punished for something. A bunch of misfits. Oh, so wait. Yeah. Were they the ones who were being punished? Yeah. Yes. Oh, I didn't catch that. I yeah, thought they were. They were, they, were like, they were sent very far away, so they just wouldn't harm anything. I didn't. Have, I didn't catch that. I was under the impression <laughs> they were these scientists that would go places to establish punishment for whoever they defeated. Hmm. Oh no, they were on the train. Wow. That sounds wow. like an interesting episode. <laughs> you should go right now. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You should share what you're using when you watch these things. <laughs> <laughs> It's called bad hearing. Yeah. Well, and I think also the story is a little muddled. Yeah. Like all of a sudden, yeah. like the Cyberman steals Angie because they need children, but now they found the doctor, so they don't need the children. Yeah. And that's that just kind of yeah, like again, okay. I yeah. thought that that was that was the steps they were trying to take to get to Matt Smith fighting Matt Smith. 
Yeah. And it, it just, okay, that was just, and also it was like, what got me in the very beginning was Webley comes out and says, are you here to take me away? Yeah. Hides from the platoon and then comes back and he's just there. You know, I mean, it's just, he's literally there to be the Cyberman's exposition when he gets upgraded. Yeah. Not to think of this too deeply, but then the two of them are supposed to be con artists on a planet where nobody comes to anymore. Uh-huh. Like he got a sandwich that day was his takings, but what else is he getting? Are the platoon going there to like play chess or there's nobody he's else? Hi- he's hiding from them, it seems like, but yeah. he is hiding from them. Yeah. Like, how do you make they your, don't know he's there. but how do you make your living if you have nobody to con, if you're hiding from the pe- other people that are on that planet? It's, it's very bizarre. So well, maybe all you need is the- food and water. I mean, yeah. they're waiting for Dave. Dave's not here. Dave <laughs> to come. And, oh, good. You guys got that one. That, no oh, one yeah. else will. Yeah. Well, that's because um, it was proper Dave. <laughs> <laughs> but because of who Porridge is, you know, he's his shield. Porridge right. will get the food. Yeah. Porridge will get, so it's like you don't need to make a living because you're getting food and water. But, oh, but, I saw it. But the platoon doesn't know about Porridge either. Does Webley? Webley does. No, because the captain... The captain. No, because the captain's talking to Clara going, tell me about this guy. She figures it out. She figures it out after she knows about porridge. Because the first thing is, is, you know, we were just talking to porridge and it's like somebody's eating their porridge. Right. She doesn't. Well, I think she she knows him by sight, though. Mm -hmm. Which doesn't come across clearly. but No, it's not clear. clear (laughs) I I like that it's not clear until. Because I think it was maybe supposed to be like, is she suspicious? Is she like, oh, no, does she want to hurt porridge? Like, I think it's supposed to be a little. Uh, there, ambiguous. There's just a lot that's not clear, and like that one, I felt needed to be clear because it yeah. was a, it was a motivational thing as opposed to a plot thing. Yeah. Anyway, I went a completely different direction with the the kids being taken by the the Cybermen because it re- kind of reminded me of when we did Remembrance of the Daleks, where the Daleks took that young girl and made her. I think it was the Battle Computer or Supreme Dalek. I thought they were going to do that with the kids in this episode, with ah. the, but just replacing the Daleks with the Cybermen because they had imagination and they were going to like think outside the box. But uh-huh. again, it didn't go that way. In classic Who, Eugene, did they say that the Cybermen could not convert Time Lords, Gallifreyans? Only humans. Um, I, I think they did. I think previously. I thought they did, but I can't remember where. I think previously they they were un, almost uninterested in the Doctor and Time Lords because they. I think that's right. They only could cyberize humans. But that's for the way I saw it. We can convert anything now. We've now upgraded to a point where we now can convert any living thing. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. well, let's get him because he's got a lot more to it. Yeah. But that you know the kids are now they'll put aside. Going, well, we don't really need them because we got this now, and this is going to help us more. I, I, we just literally found out that the kids were important and right. they went not important and moved on. It was like, okay. So, yeah, like they just went into stasis at that point. Well, because they but didn't need them. They, was, just, they stood around for the rest of the episode. Yeah. But to me, it was like, oh, look, we found roller skates. We can now get to where we need to go faster. Well, why don't we just take the car with the keys in it? <laughs> okay, let's go to that. That's how yeah, I. But if they, if, if they were going to, I don't know. It, it just. I saw them as commodities. I, mean, I, 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 th- I, I was taking it that way. I'm, I'm only retroactively thinking this stuff where, even though, yes, it's scary to see kids, they may be in danger, but thank God that has been paused. But wouldn't it be more scary if the doctor not only has to deal with this, but they are. Um, you know, get becoming an, an increasing danger as the episode goes on. It's just the the boy had the boy had chess club. If he had been like incorporated into the cyber network and was facing the doctor, like that would have been an interesting arc. Mm-hmm. 
something. Yeah, but what uh, Eugene had said is what I'm thinking, you know, that they kids were going to be more mm -hmm. than just Cybermen because mm -hmm. they wanted something with the imagination and all this. But then they, I can see your point having two different entities do that. But so then there was a commodity, okay, we can convert them into regular drone Cybermen, but we're going to focus on this one to create more upgrades and create more thinking, create us to grow better. So I, I, it made sense to me from the Cybermen point of view to drop the transformation of the kids. It's like, we'll just convert them normally, but we need to focus on the doctor. You know, they should have become the cyber planner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe. imagine that battle. Mm -hmm. But they were, I believe that they were so focused on Matt has to fight Matt. Right. Of course. This would have been, it would have flowed the whole plot better. It would have been more dynamic because they are kids, but they're kids with Cybermen, three million Cybermen brains. Mm -hmm. And he still could have done like a mind meld to get inside their brains. Yeah. So you could have the fun little graphics. Mm -hmm. um, I think that would have been more fun as long as you had gotten actors who could have handled it. Yeah. I bet you on paper, it was sort of seeming like the kids weren't even in those scenes. So you don't think about them. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> you know, but well, we have to have them here. Where else are they going to be? And then, you know, then maybe they were even sitting in the editing room going like, so the kids are just standing there? Yeah, but it's shot. <laughs> we didn't know what to, you know, we couldn't, we, we couldn't do rewrites at this point. So we, we had to put them there. But it's fine. The green screen. Yeah. It's fine. Neil Gaiman wrote it. It's fine. <laughs> I think it's interesting then uh, if they were going after the kids to do the upgrades, all of the Cybermen that we see at the end are kids that were stolen from the park yeah. over the years. Yeah, that would be great. The doctor refers to the Cybermen as beautiful. I don't know if you guys caught that. Yeah, he's, that's very doctor. And he's done that before, specifically in the girl in the fireplace with the uh, clockwork man when he takes off the mask and says, you're beautiful, but it's not going to stop me. He, he also, also does it in, in uh, Flesh and Bone with the... Uh, tooth and Claw. Tooth, tooth and claw. claw. Yeah. It's a yeah. werewolf. Oh, my God. And I think we're at that point where there are two Matt Smiths and they run through all the portraits of the doctors. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I thought that was great. It was just nice to see. It's all, I always love it when they show and acknowledge the other doctors in yeah. the current episode that they're in. And this is just a fanboy. I know... You know why it didn't happen but i do wish that between um the eighth doctor and the ninth doctor there was a little glitch mm. in the <laughs> in the video just a little glitch just a little something um it, you know as a fanboy it's like it still would work because the cyber planner is saying you've got memory blocks up mm -hmm. so it's like okay it would work just give us a little glitch yeah but they but didn't totally, know yet but i totally get <laughs> so yeah i agree i that world that they made, the little green screen world where Matt Smith oh. got to argue with himself. Right. I really like that. And I like the Gallifreyan background yeah. on yes. his side yeah. and the cyber yeah. background on the other side. The The whole setup with him talking to himself, like the camera angles in the real world are always on either the cyber face or the human face. Like um, the color difference. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. it's it was a good job. And Matt Smith, he pulled it off. I, I was convinced he was arguing with the cyber planner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the color schemes between uh, the human, or not human, the non-controlled doctor is like the ambers and the warm reds and oranges. And then the cyber planner is the like the colder blues. And it reminded me of Shang-Chi, where <laughs> he has the warmer colors. And then, spoiler alert, the father has the bluer colors. Hmm. 
I, was, I, I do have to say this, it might not be popular, but I was saying it to Frank last night. Matt Smith is amazing. Mm. He's absolutely amazing. I am not in any way, shape, or form knocking his performance. Because um, I don't think any of the other other actors could have done it. Maybe Capaldi. But anyway, I don't like the way they wrote the Cyber Planner. It was, he was too bombastic. He was too over the top. He was too kitschy. He's a Cyberman. Tennant's a great actor. I don't think that Tennant could have whipped back and forth. Or at least he would need a really, really good editor to whip back and forth between both I I just think Matt Smith is doing it better and and I just I wish that the stuff that he had been given to act was better because it's like you're not a cyber you're not acting like a cyberman at all well you can rationalize it by saying he's in a time lord's brain for the first time and he's going all wibbly wobbly and it's like yes that makes sense totally fixes the whole problem I still wish they had written the cyber planner better mm -hmm. and yeah. I guess I don't know that much about cybermen and how they're supposed to act to me it was more like a I saw it more as a computer like getting into a time lord's brain so for me like the way that the cyber planner was acting i i enjoyed it and i thought it fit what would happen if a computer got to tap into a time lord's brain i agree with brian only because some of the lines of dialogue later from the cyber planner were chastising the doctor for being emotional and making emotional choices and whether that was supposed to be ironic because the cyber planner was uh, in the moment being more emotional or whether it was like the writing was meant to be a little more computerized or robotic and then the day of the direction took it to like mustache twirling villain which is I, I have always seen the Cybermen as more cold mm -hmm. and, and calculating like they don't they don't have emotions yeah emotion get, I mean we've seen before that emotions kill them they get rid of them yeah yeah the mm -hmm. inhibitor chips or whatever so yeah, and like, I agree. And like the first, the first time, you, well, at least for me, the first time I watched it, I loved that entire sequence. You just kind of get carried along on the roller coaster. Um, but then, you know, studying it for a podcast, it's like it's off. It, it's like no, no, he should have been more cold and calculating. And the thing that gets me is Matt Smith could have done that. Matt Smith could have done not slapsticky kind of transitions between the two because he does it once or twice when he's talking to Clara. But I don't know. I just the, the it's like oh, I wish they hadn't gone bombastic. Well, the first the first time I felt that in the episode was with Webley in the beginning when he was being upgraded, uh, and I thought this guy's talking like a person; he's not talking like a Cyberman would. And then I was, it just made me think what you guys are saying that okay, this isn't a Cyberman; this is a hybrid. You know, they are now in a, they are using the person's brain; they are upgrading a person rather than um, turning a person into a Cyberman. Yeah, so it's kind of is... like the the Dalek droid, Dalek drones. It, yeah, yeah. So when it happened later, um, I was able to accept it because I, I, I literally said in my head, I was like, oh, OK, I guess he's like Webley in the beginning, except for that line that you were just talking about, Oliver, where he's just like you're making emotional decisions. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, the, you're the you're the hysterical one here. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if it was in this paragraph. I think it was earlier uh, that I really liked the way they treated the super speed of that one Cyberman. Mm. It's nothing new. But it was there was something new about it. It's new and for the Cybermen. Yeah, it's new, that's what I mean. Yeah, but it's nothing new in in special gotcha. effects. They use yeah, yeah. things that we've seen before. Uh, but uh, I, I like the way that they happened to do it, and I was like, well, this is going to be really cool because now they're going to be doing that in the episode. Never again. Or the Doctor could have done it. Yeah, Cyberman. Cyberman can only yeah. do it once. <laughs> See, that's what makes me, that's what made me want it to be a bunch of kids that they had cyberized and upgraded because these kids were going to an amusement park and they were 
like if they got these kids from the Zoomer roller coaster, they would have loved going fast. And that's the last thing that they remember before they got cyberized. So then that's their special upgrade or like the one with the hand or the turning around of the head. They wanted to just do something else with their appendages or maybe like have eyes in the back of their head was their last thought before they got upgraded. It's just these things felt like they could have been in there. Yeah. It was just to draw, you know, to make a point to, to draw those conclusions out loud uh, enriches the world. Right. This was not yeah. meant to be a really depth. No, that's no. why that's why I think we're trying to put onto it something that yeah. we bring instead of uh, what's there. I know. Again, this is supposed to be a lighter tone. Everything about it has a different tone. So it's like this episode could have been a really deep, great, modern take on who that we, at least in this podcast, really like. And I can see all those elements there. One little pet peeve before we move on is the way the Cyberman moved to yeah. me. And oh. that he was, he reminded me of the Whip Warriors from Captain EO. It's like, he has too much rhythm in his walking, his shoulder uh, movement yeah. and everything. It's just, yeah. it's a little bit much. I knew they wanted to differentiate from the Cybus ones, but I was like, this is right. too much. Like I said, nitpicking, it, was, it wasn't yeah. really yeah. distracting from it, but it's just going, okay. <laughs> That's fine, because I also noticed how the Cybermen were moving, but I liked it. I, okay. I noticed in a positive. I was like, oh, I like the movement. Yeah, I liked it too. I just thought it was like part of the upgrade and it looked more flexible mm -hmm. and more, you know, robot. And I got someone who really knew how to do the robot, someone who was a good dancer. Then you guys win. <laughs> <laughs> Clara discovers that the soldiers aren't well armed. They only have one anti-cyber gun, a few hand pulsars, and a device that implodes the planet. The captain admits that she knows who Porridge is, and Porridge forbids her from blowing up the planet. No, she says. This time, she will follow orders and begins to activate the implosion bomb. Luckily, a Cyberman shoots through the window and she dies. More Cybermen are converging on the platoon, but Clara takes one out with the anti-cybergun. Did anyone else think that when the soldiers had killed the captain? Yeah, it was the coverage. <laughs> every time, the every coverage time I watch that. that, and I'm always yeah. I, they they should have gone to the Cybermen out the window first. Like I don't. Yeah. Or on the ground floor, wherever the Cybermen shot from. I think that it. I mean, it just it looks like because the soldier rushes over immediately that the soldier had taken her out. It's it's such a simple fix. We can just flip those shots, but it felt like they added that line, oh, the Cyberman shot her. To fix it, I'm like, no, you should have just flipped the shots. Right, right. So yeah. Odd. I, I think it's weird geographically because the squib and sparks come kind of directly yeah. out of her back where you, you yeah. would expect it to be a side shot the, from the window. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I liked yeah. Clara being in charge. I thought she played that well. She was a lot of fun. Um, I she owned it. She took control and she had the power. They gave, or, and she's also with the misfits, so they gave her the power. I'm with Brian. It was, it was really, it, the thing is, is that Clara for 90% of this episode is really good and really the good Clara. Um, you know, when she makes that joke, you know, well, do you trust the doctor? Well, I wouldn't know that. And the way, she delivers, <laughs> the way she delivers it is perfect. The one thing that I didn't like, and I'm sure I'm bringing my um, hatred disdain. Of disdain for future Clara into it is a guy walks up to her and says, Missy was saying something was just happening and then they got her. And silent. So she's probably dead. And Clara's response was with her hands behind her back really you know victorian british well they're on their way then that bugged me it was like okay you're you're playing a little tin god 
don't. I feel the same way. And then later she sends the whole platoon out after the Cybermen when they, you know, they they don't want to go. Like, or was that before? Before, yeah, she sends the whole platoon to the practically their deaths, you know, very nonchalantly. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I she, blocked that part out. <laughs> maybe she felt like to be in charge, she needed to turn off some of her own emotions maybe. Yeah, and it was in like, order to keep her. I don't know. Her main concern is the children. And so but, I yeah, think whatever not, she like, has to but, do. But the choice then should have been that she was she was faking saying the line. She was, we could read mm-hmm. on her that she wasn't, that she was torn up inside. And she was terrified. That's the other thing too. She should be terrified. Yes, she's a leader. A leader, but she should have been putting on airs to say that to the platoon because she's saying it to the people who would like her to say things like that. But we, as the audience, know who Clara is, and it's like, don't play it like this will be Clara's reaction. And you know, it's, to me, it's just like, well, that's Clara, so I'm, I'm, I'm falsely, I'm disdaining it. <laughs> I, I agree with you a lot, Brian. But what I disagree is that it's the tone of the episode. I keep going back to that. What yeah. the director wanted was this. So to me, that was, I put the responsibility on the director for what actions he wanted from Jenna. Yeah. yeah rather than just to, I see, just Speaking of tone too, um, even the scene with the doctor and Clara across the chess table and stuff, and it looks like a cop show where someone's interrogating, the cop is interrogating a, you know, a perp. So it, it, it's well shot, it's well lit, it's, it's very well done. It's just, again, the Cybermen subject matter to me has so much depth um visual the 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 lens choice if i was the producer on this episode i would be like can we please use a wider lens because that's what this says to me this is not a shoebox episode where we're supposed to feel kind of claustrophobic this is supposed to expand the scope of the universe to us I might have been a budget, like, I don't know this director, but I feel like a lot of our complaints about this episode aren't as much with the writing, but with the direction, like with Mm -hmm. those final choices of how an actor should deliver a line or what do we see when, when they say something. Right. Well, this director is a TV director, so that could be why you're feeling that. Right. I, I think it's fair to to compare this to a doctor's wife. Like besides the Neil Gaiman, they're both like kind of little worlds that have like some set pieces, but you know, they're not on real locations. Um, and I mean, I don't remember exactly shots in Doctor's Wife, but I do feel like they were more playful with mm-hmm. the sets and moving the camera around the characters. Um, and maybe just because that was more like that subject matter was actually playful, you know, with the the characters interactions whereas i mean i guess the cyber planner is is like the mustache twirling villain so he's kind of playful as well but most of the the actual cybermen you know are Mm -hmm. like they're not uh yeah it's it's not uh frolicking around and like trying to figure out what's going on it's oh my god they're gonna kill us let's stop them yeah yes that being said, also visually, the special effects in this episode were pretty seamless. Yeah. Uh, I thought everything looked great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this director, this is the first time he's directed a Doctor Who. And he will do one more that's a short. And he's done uh, Poldark, Strike Back, five episodes of Outlander, and the upcoming Willow TV show. So this is a very TV mm-hmm. director person. Be a it's not a TV show. It's a good episode, you know. And I feel like if this is what I thought Doctor Who was, this nailed it. You know, it's just they—I don't want to say they raised the bars over the last, you know, number of years, because I don't feel this is a load bar. I, I just feel it's a different bar. Right. Uh, and since it's gone into such romanticized territory, when it doesn't, you just feel it. Mm-hmm. 
one thing that made me laugh in this section that we've talked about is when Missy says, don't move. I'm in the army to the yeah. Cybermen. I'm like, <laughs> first it's, uh, I hate you, put me down. And then it's this. I'm like, what's going on, Neil? <laughs> yeah, the uniforms look like costumes. Yeah, that looked like paintball gear that they're wearing. <laughs> yeah. Usually someone puts on mil military gear, it toughens them up. Did not work for this crowd. <laughs> that, was, that was on purpose, and I like the chess match between the Dr. Jekyll and Cyber Hyde continues. Doctor has gotten a small upper hand using the golden ticket, which classically interferes with the Cybermen. Cyber Planner awakens the million Cybermen underneath the planet's surface. Soldiers try to defend their position as Porridge retrieves the implosion device. At the chess game, Doctor sacrifices his queen in order to get the Cyber Planner to release the children. So I like this point because he is mentioning, or they do mention that the doctor is eliminating himself again from history. Uh, mm -hmm. When the cyber planner says that uh, it can't find anything about the doctor in the Siberiads databanks, you could be, and uh, other than that, I like that he says, you could be reconstructed by the hole you've left. I don't know yes. why. I love that line. Fantastic. Yeah, and then he's, oh, I didn't think of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, but I really, I really get a uh, charge out of that. Yeah. Yeah, we all had that yeah, one God, down that written great. on our notes. We all really, I think, enjoyed. Oh, we didn't think of it that. Yeah, it reminds me of what you, you point out sometimes. It's used with words where one word or sentence has two different meanings. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, isn't that cool that he did that? Oh, isn't that even cooler that that was actually the, a, a, a mistake as well as, a, as an asset or it has unforeseen consequences? Right. It's not as The lack of something as is as important as having something. I like how when he's, like Eugene said earlier, when you get references to the older doctors, um, I like how when the cyber planner is assimilating that information and he, he starts, he has one line in a Northern accent and then says, fantastic. Mm -hmm. And says, oh, here we go, allons-y. Doing Eccleston and Tennant. And I love how, I, and even better, I love this section. He goes into, the doctor then says, yeah, that's right, I can regenerate. By the way, if I wanted to, I could regenerate right now and win. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't want to, you know, because right. it doesn't solve everything, but I could, and yeah. I love that. Uh, he also says another, or the doctor, or is it the doctor? Yeah, he says, nobody dies. I also kind of took yeah. that with uh, the empty child. Everybody yeah, lives. but yeah. Somebody's already died at this point. Always <laughs> makes me feel bad. Right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you poor me. Missy. <laughs> and Missy, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Missy. You're just a red shirt. Yeah, we don't care about the soldiers or Webley. Yeah, and then he mentions the gold flaw with the uh, the Cybermen. Yeah. That's been used before in uh, Classic Who with Revenge of the Cybermen, Earthshock, and the Silver Nemesis. How early was that? Which Doctor did it start? Was it the first? No, because well, the clean. The cleaning fluid is the moon base, which I think might be the second or uh, oh, yeah. first I doctor. A, I think it's the second. Yes, moon base is the second doctor. So yes, cleaning fluid, but they, they didn't do that in this one. They did it specifically with the gold. Which again was, I think, a great foreshadowing because we didn't really see that coming. Yeah. We just thought it was a fun joke at the beginning. It's like, oh, nicely done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's another line here with, uh, had some cowboys in here, which is something the doctor has specifically said in uh, Girl in the Fireplace, when they're talking about the, the spaceship has been running, but it's just people like kind of mishmashing things together using spare parts and uh, actual like live part, uh, oh. biomechanical parts to keep the ship running. He says, you've had some cowboys in here. And he's also used that, I think in the 11th hour was the other time. Hmm. I didn't know that was a saying. Yeah, or from the doctor, yeah. And this also- That's probably just British people talking about Americans. 
The cowboy has come in here and screwed everything up. <laughs> and Clara has some good, quick thinking here about what's that power cord? Drop it in the river. Can we electrify mm -hmm. so, I thought that was good. I thought mm -hmm. you did really well. I like that. Give her the intelligence and the quickness and cleverness. So I like that. Uh, the cyber leader also mentions that when he's waking everybody up, he said they're waking from their tomb. Mm -hmm. So from the tomb of the Cybermen back in the second mm -hmm. doctor. And, yep. and the biggest thing for me, I think I actually killed, was when you see the Cybermen, all the million Cybermen lining up and start walking, they all begin to march. Uh, they play the old Cyberman uh, theme, which is from Russell's era, which I just love. And you don't, at least I didn't hear it the first time. And then late when they do it again, it's like, oh, they are playing the thing, you know, it just, it's like, it's so perfect for the Cybermen that it just fits. So mm -hmm. it doesn't really call attention to itself, but then when you realize it, it's just so exciting. I thought another interesting use of music was when the cyber planner was trying to flirt with Clara to get the the button, uh, the, the trigger, the switch. Yeah. yeah. And Clara's theme starts playing as like the, the, the cyber planner, as the doctor begins, you know, telling Clara how much he like she's pretty and all this stuff. And I, I thought that was an interesting like I knew it was fake, but it was fun to have the Clara's theme come in and almost make us think like, oh, what's going to happen here? Mm -hmm. I mean, we knew because he's tied up and he's been in a battle with himself and like obviously we can't trust anything he says but like i don't know maybe it called it called attention to itself too much because i don't normally notice like the music cues but that one was like in your face like the cyberman <laughs> in that scene there's a nice editing trick where the doctor does or the, the cyber planner as the doctor grabs the trigger for the bomb and starts smashing it on the chess table and then there's a cut and then you go back to it and it's like already disintegrated that's like yeah. That's a nice little <laughs> cheap way to do that. Yeah. But I thought I loved the banter again between Clara and the doctors, I guess. Mm -hmm. You know, I just think it's done well and they work well together and they get the timing. So and he 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 brings up the impossible girl. Mm -hmm. right, right. Right. And you know, it's like, well, wait, why am I impossible? Why am I impossible? And and I don't blame Clara for this at all. I don't think it's a bad in character. I would do the exact same thing, but right over. <laughs> yeah. Which is also fun with the doctor. Not now. <laughs> Josh, going back to the chess reference, the doctor sacrifices his queen to get the kids free of the cyber influence. You know, because I think he goes, okay, we're getting close to the end of this game and I got to get everybody in position where I need Right, them. right. So that's, that's how I saw it. I was like, okay, that has to be done before we move on to the rest yeah. of the... He's setting up his pieces. Right. Oh, so like that was even a plan you're in because that's one of my favorite things about the episode is that he doesn't punch the bad guy to win. He gets the bad guy to punch himself, you know, by, you know, like by using the brain power, you know, so he lets go of the kids. Right. Like that's my fa that's my favorite part of the whole episode, even to the point I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit where, um, you know, the Cybermen are about to attack, you know, put their hands on Clara and the other soldiers. It's all over. And you know, like, oh, what's the doctor going to do to stop it? It's all going to happen at the very last minute. That's so cliche, but I love it. But it wasn't. It was that he was just that, that the, um, the cyber, I'm sorry, where are we calling him? Planner. planner the cyber planner was using up all of his resources so he stopped himself so even though it was something the doctor did uh, again it had it had a double meaning and uh that's my favorite part of the, the episode, it's very so. doctor it's to me yes yes very doctor which is great very old mission impossible <laughs> the actual tv show one of my favorite moments in this episode is when um clara asks the doctor what the stakes are for like what's happening and it's still there at the chess set. So um, I don't yeah, know, remember if, when if, it happens, yeah. 
but and so the doctor starts laying out the stakes for their situation and then uh, the cyber planner takes over and then ends with telling Clara that she's going to die pointlessly and far away from home and I like that we started that little exchange of dialogue talking about the stakes for their situation and ended with the stakes for traveling with the doctor oh and also she's too short bossy and her nose is a bit funny um. <laughs> The Doctor claims mate in three moves, but the Cyber Planner can't see it. He becomes obsessed, drawing more and more power from all the other Cybermen, causing them to freeze. The Doctor finds and amplifies a nearby hand pulsar, which shorts out the Cyber Planner in his head. Because of this, the other Cybermen begin to move again. Porridge, now revealed as the Emperor, activates the implosion device and transmits our heroes and the kids to his Imperial ship. I now that's that a quick little... ending. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a little too quick of like who Porridge is. I really wish we had gotten a good look at the coin. Yeah, because I yeah. didn't think the wax dummy looked like that. No, not at no. all. No, neither did I. Well, and I think that goes to the issue with this episode is that you can watch it once and you're like, oh yeah, that was really fun. But then when you watch it again, you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I think a lot of episodes that I maybe watched the first time and didn't like, I actually do like better on a second viewing because I catch things or I see how they're connected. Whereas you this one- You see the breadcrumbs. Yeah. There are no breadcrumbs. There are a few, but like they're missing, like, yes, if the, if the girl is looking at a coin that is later used to solve a mystery, we as the audience need to see the coin like yes. yeah it's a few things like that that like and the whole thing with like well he's waiting for dave to come get him but like what are they even doing there like yeah yeah because because i watched this episode twice this week and i was waiting for like did i miss that moment where they did a close-up on the coin and it was not there yeah. Maybe it was too obvious. Maybe it was too obvious when it's just a profile head. Maybe it was they made it was too obvious that it. Well, I think. Yeah, but you could you could have played up the kids' wonder of seeing a completely yeah. alien thing. Or maybe she loses the coin when she is released from the control, and then it rolls, and then we see it there. It yeah. Then at the end. Yeah, there was plenty of opportunity. She could have given it back to him, or like yeah. held it up, like right next to his, you know, rack focus from that mm -hmm. to the after we've discovered yes. that he is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the closest prop where they're like, that kind of looks like him. Put it on a big mannequin. Yeah, that'll be fine. Not at all. <laughs> no. I was like, why? What? <laughs> I think I think also I didn't like it because the only one who figured it out was Angie, and that's just unacceptable. I like yeah, that. They're trying to, I don't know what they're trying to do with her because he, the doctor, near the beginning said, oh, it's done with mirrors. One, that's, how was it done with mirrors? Don't be silly. <laughs> that's not a good idea. But the doctor says, oh, clever girl. And she looks all proud that she's getting something. It almost you know, so felt, they're trying to make her clever. It, it almost felt like they were trying to go, oh, if this character works, we'll bring the character back. Right. Mm. And it didn't. I think they try that again later. So I think somebody likes liked this idea of having a really intelligent kid. Um, but yeah, she just it just didn't work with her. So they didn't pursue it. They also have that thing with her phone. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, doc doctor Who is for kids. So they're like, we've got to get more kids involved in this. Yeah, and the last time they did that was Adric, and we know how that turned out. We killed um, him. <laughs> but he blew up. Um, but she puts, but she, early on in the episode, when they're supposed to go to sleep, she puts her phone down on a table. And the Cybermites, right? And the Cybermites come, and they go, ooh, we need to disassemble this. And then at the end of the episode, it's like, the doctor's like, I'm not giving this to you. The TARDIS is. It's a new phone. I'm like, he's, he's only and, really done that with companions. Rose, yeah, Donna. Like, 
Martha. Is it a special phone? I don't think it's a special. I mean, should we assume it's a special phone? And just again, it was like, come on, if you're going to do something, pay it off. Do you think um, after the 50th coming up, like Clara was going to be done and they were going to be in a school with maybe this Angie as the new companion? I think they could have. Because if the TARDIS actually gave her the phone, the TARDIS would give her one that blows up. You're calling me stupid over and over again. Yes. (laughs) If I don't like Clara, I do not like you. (laughs) The the, the TARDIS is like not giving her any presents. I thought because she also disliked Clara, the TARDIS had that connection with her. The enemy of my enemy? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like, let's gossip about Clara. (laughs) But Angie does, you know, get redeemed towards the end. When she's sitting there in the emperor's ship, you know, and Clara says, no, she doesn't want to be empress, you know, and Angie's like, what are you doing? It was like a little more fun. It's like, if someone asks you to be empress, you say yes. Yeah. You it's know, like, so, line, like yeah. Ghostbusters. If someone so, says, or asks if you're God, you say yes. The planet implodes, they return home, and the doctor monologues to himself again about the impossible girl. Destroyer of worlds. <laughs> and we see that Cybermite blinking in the in the void of space. Yeah, how, that, yeah, was, I'm like, where are we gonna go with that? By the way, to me, I, I can't say for certain because I've never actually seen it, but to me, it looks like the planet explodes. Not it implodes? It doesn't look like it implodes. Right. Because so, they, they said implosion device so many times, but who cares? I mean, that, that's no big deal. Maybe what you're seeing is the absence of the planet. That could be. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I've never really seen one. Well, I have, and this is totally wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I think that it was rather selfish of the Emperor to wait till when he did to activate the implosion device, but I guess that's kind of the point, was that he didn't want to go back to being the Emperor, so he waited until there was no other option than to activate it and get rescued and have the planet implode because he could have saved so many lives if he right. had just done that. I think the implication was he didn't want like because before he when he did it before it killed millions of people. So I was sitting there thinking like, well, yeah, he doesn't want to do that, but he wouldn't do that in this case. Everybody's gone except for them and the Cybermen on the planet. Right. Yeah, and but, there's that ship that rescues all the humans. But yeah, but he couldn't right. have done that. He, he one he didn't he didn't care. He was like ready to let everything go to hell. Um, but I think the other thing too is he couldn't call the ship earlier because the Cybermen were an active threat. So the Cybermen could have gotten onto the ship, and it wasn't until the very end. You know, he couldn't. He also couldn't have saved anybody else. He couldn't have taken any. Couldn't have taken the doctor. Couldn't have taken the kids. Couldn't have taken anyone. Right. He did. He did say something about now that this has happened, I can do this. But I didn't under. I didn't fully understand what he was talking about. Yeah, the whole ending is a little not not good. But what got, the part yeah. about that that I can't stand is, hi, I, I I set this device to explode, which signals that I'm the emperor. So this signal goes out saying, hey, this is where the emperor is. And like five seconds later, everybody gets beamed aboard the ship. That's convenient. That's oh, a that- powerful. That's a powerful little ship and a powerful little transport. I'm just saying, we as an audience are watching somebody, you know. Like, we're about to blow up, and literally five seconds later, everybody's safe, and we have time to save the TARDIS, too. It's too right. quick. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that- way too quick. I mean, there could have been a ticking time bomb of the ship is coming. Yeah, again, I see those two things as completely separate. Um, you know, but I but the timing wise is, you know, if how they literally did the timing was stupid. Regardless of when he does it, it's stupid. 
He's still the emperor, and to be emperor of the universe takes a bit of narcissism and like, yeah, he's still not a good guy. No, there's just so many holes when you uh, analyze this so deeply. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he's a bad guy. I don't think he's a bad guy either. He's, I don't know how long he's been running from his job as emperor, (laughs) but... uh... He also didn't care very much about, you know, the people on that platoon dying that were serving him. Oh, he didn't. And he asked Clara to marry her after knowing her for a day. Like, (laughs) it's good to be kidding. Yeah. Narcissism, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. I liked his slight reaction, which I think said a lot when the captain said the reason she's there Mm. is because she didn't follow orders. She didn't blow up a planet, you know? And I liked that where he's like, you know, maybe that was the right thing because he's not blowing up this one and doesn't want to blow up this one. So there was so much, I think, in just that one line and their look back and forth between each other that I wish would have been expanded, but I liked it, you know, either way. I was disappointed that she didn't have a chance to talk more. like she, they yeah. got rid of her pretty quick. Mm-hmm. I feel like we could have had some more of her. Also, the oh, yeah. thing is, for me, was she knows that this is the emperor, and so the emperor says, "Don't blow a planet." No, I'm going to follow orders. This is the emperor. He just ordered you to do something. Yeah, do it. You know that kind of counteracts any existing. So she was orders. staying true to her character of not following orders. Exactly. <laughs> yes, she hadn't learned anything. She was still making poor choices. So that's why she went too close to the window. Yeah. <laughs> Who goes who goes too close to a window when you're in a comical castle surrounded by robots trying to kill you? I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Oops. I do like that the doctor's solve for the chess match was to use those local resources and use the hand pulsar on his opponent. That was good. And I thought the doctor was lying when he said um, he could win in three moves. He was. No, he was just playing a different game. <laughs> right. You know, which I like that that idea of it again, the dichotomy of it, where from a certain point of view, yeah. you know, he was his three moves are these. And he tells you afterwards, like, okay, I, I really liked it. I like I think that was a good twist. I, I I don't know if you guys would have an opinion, but at the end, with the doctor's little monologue, he ends with commenting on Clara's tight skirt. Did you guys catch that? Yeah, just yeah. a little too tight. Okay, <laughs> all right. No, I know. And he, and he stops, stops, but he stops himself. Little. Yeah, he stops himself. He's like, yes. Oh no, 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 no. Who am I? Like, yeah. Yeah, and and I choose to to think of that as uh, the script writers and Moffat were making a wink at us, going, "Look, we're gonna have him fall in love again." Oh no, we're not. Okay. So, Right, right. Like he almost talks himself into like being in love. Yeah, lusting. Yeah. Infatuated. Yeah. I just thought that as a Moffat rewrite. Like, I'm going to put my stamp on this. Yeah, it was a very (laughs) Moffat stamp. Okay, good. You know, as I'm as I'm rewatching this uh, while we're talking, it's on my phone. It's a lot of great filmmaking in it, like cuts work. They ch- do editing tricks to do special effects when the robot and the Cybermen do things and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the soldiers, the, the you know the silly gal soldier, she raised her gun, and it was very dark all around her, and a black gun, but you had smoke backlit behind her or steam, so the gun would like the silhouette. Like it's a very well produced and well directed episode as far as uh that it's just it's missing those things that we were talking about so it's 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 interesting it's actually a it's a better piece of filmmaking that i would have thought a half hour ago <laughs> after just having it silently play before you know in front of my eyes um, yeah. anyway it's competent yeah yeah my only real criticism is because i know what it can be mm-hmm. yeah and i think that's, that's where my point. criticisms come from is that i wanted yeah, something and, deeper when it yeah, wasn't and i and i agree 
We get returning Ava DeLeon Allen and Cassius Carey Johnson as Angie and Artie. We first saw both of them in The Bells of St. John, and we will see them in one more episode. Jason Watkins plays Webley. He is Harold Wilson in The Crown. He's a working actor and has uh, very extensive credits. Does he ever double Simon Pegg? Yeah. No. <laughs> Josh got so. it. <laughs> Who is he in The Crown? Uh, Harold Wilson. Oh, Prime Minister. Oh, that's right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this was a number of years before The Crown, so I had yeah, to... Yeah, like... yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't remember him either. Yeah, most of the uh, platoon are just working UK actors. They have been in a bunch of stuff that I do not recognize. So I'll just go through them real quick. Tamsin Althwaite plays the captain. Eloise Joseph, she's credited as Beauty. Uh, Will Merrick plays Brains, he's the redhead. Calvin A. Dean plays Ha Ha, he's the bigger gentleman with the, uh, he's the best sharpshooter in the, mm -hmm. the platoon. The James Gordon. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Zahir Ahmadi plays Missy. She's the one that says, don't move, I'm in the army. <laughs> Can I hide now? Is it okay if I hide now? <laughs> Aiden Cook plays this one of the Cybermen. I guess he's the main Cyberman. He was the crooked man in Hyde, and we will see him again as a Zygon. Nicholas Briggs plays the Cyberman's voice, and Georgina Burford plays Gloria. She's the soldier on the spaceship when they get transmitted. Mm. And then we have, as we mentioned before, Warwick Davis as Porridge or the Emperor. He is Willow Ofgood in Willow. He was a leprechaun in the Leprechaun franchise. <laughs> Especially well, he only does movies where he plays the titular character. Right, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> I was going to say, I think it's specifically Leprechaun 4 in The Hood. <laughs> uh, Grip Hook Marvin in and Phileas Flitwick in the Harry Potter franchise. He is Marvin's, uh, the body of Marvin in the 2005 Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where Alan Rickman played, does the voice of Marvin. And he is Wicket in the Star Wars franchise, specifically Return of the Jedi was his first appearance. He also plays Warwick Davis in the TV show Life is Too Short. That's true. <laughs> Which he's very good in. Yes. Or Life is Short, whatever it is. There is also a short, speaking of shorts, there is a short that goes somewhere in this season. I think this is the best place to put it since it is uh, written by Neil Gaiman. And it was, it's called Rain Gods and it's on the season seven Doctor Who DVD set. And I'll, I'll recap it real quick and then I'll go and tell you what production wise, what happened with it. It's River and the Doctor and they are on a planet where they are going to be sacrificed to the inhabitants uh, deity so that they can get it to rain but the doctor predicts that it'll rain and they, they get out just fine it was adapted from an unused opening sequence for the doctor's wife so neil mm. gaiman originally wrote this for the doctor's wife and for some reason it is credited as stephen moffat being the writer on the dvd and not gaiman this is also the first on-screen time that a story that features river song was not written by stephen moffat hmm. i need to find that it's on your DVD. <laughs> this story is the 11th time that an actor playing the Doctor has portrayed a different character in the same story. So with William Hartnell, he was doing uh, like a doppelganger or some somebody else, like physically playing somebody else in The Chase and The Massacre. Then Patrick Troughton did that in The Enemy of the World. So that's three. 
Tom Baker did it in the Android Invasion and Megalos, so that's five. Peter Davison did it in Ark of Infinity and the Caves of Androzani, that's seven. And then David Tennant did it in Journey's End, eight. And, and then Matt Smith did it in The Almost People and The Wedding of River Songs. So yeah, that's 10, and then this one is the 11th. Okay, uh, the, sign, the, the math adds up. <laughs> All right, so Nightmare and Silver, who is this episode good for? Or more specifically, this episode is good for who? A new viewer, a casual viewer, a fan of the show, or a diehard? All right. I think I'm going to go with casual for this one, um, because on a first watch, it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, there's a lot of fun to it. But again, I wouldn't introduce a new viewer to this. I don't think there's enough uh, uh, connected story, you know, that that would draw people into the universe. Um, so, yeah, casual. I'm going to put this one in uh casual um i agree the first time you watch it it's a roller coaster you're fine don't think about it too much um you get to see some good acting and um it's self-contained yeah go for it i mean my debate was between casual and fan and you know i had an idea coming into this like we always usually do and changed it a bit because of what people say i agree with the casual a lot and that's what i was thinking but in our description of fan you would watch things in order when you start to become a fan and so I think that would be better to see this in the order of her whole second half of this season. I like it more in placement rather than watching it just picking every once in a while to see one. Even though this is basically standalone, I'm going to go for fan. Uh, okay, yes, fan. <laughs> I'm going to say new. I don't think it's a great episode to get someone hooked, but I don't think a new viewer loses anything by watching it or, or misses anything. I think the things that I don't like about this episode are only because of things I already know about, about Doctor Who. Um, I was going to say casual because of what uh, something that Auburn said, but then also what I said earlier. Um, it's not a strong ep enough episode to get someone hooked, but that doesn't mean someone... I don't think it's enough to turn someone off and they can enjoy it just fine. So new. I'm the outlier. Maybe. We'll see. I should have waited until Josh spoke. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not a good episode. No, no, I agree with everything you said. Everything you said was right. Yeah. Um, I'm going to try not to think about this one too hard. <laughs> good. <laughs> and, um, I, um, I don't know. I hesitate to put it into fan. So I'm going to say casual because I think it's a funner, funner, that's not really a word, but it's a fun Cyberman episode. And I feel like if you were to stumble upon this episode, you would enjoy it. Um, so I'm going to say casual. Mm. And I also really, sorry. <laughs> I also really like Warwick Davis in this episode. Like I, I find myself getting lost in his eyes a lot during this episode. Yeah, I did too, actually. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to go with casual too, just because I have no feelings either way on this one. Um, I, I only watched this once on the original broadcast. This week is the most I've ever watched or thought about this episode. The only other thing that I can think of to add to my opinion is that Neil, when Neil wrote this, he was a big fan of the Cybermen. So he wanted to do a bunch of stuff with them. And I feel like he did that. I wish this episode was different. <laughs> cool. So that wraps up Nightmare in Silver. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we will see you next time when the future becomes the present. You've just listened to an episode of Who Knew? Our wonderful theme music is by Michael Grady. Find him on Facebook at The Universe Explodes. All our episodes are engineered by Auburn. You can find him at auburnbinkley.com. You can also find this show in several places. Follow us on Twitter at Who Knew Podcast. 
Subscribe, review, and listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash whonewpodcast. All our episodes are on whonewpodcast.com. Visit our Facebook page. Please leave comments, reviews, and click like to help support Who New Podcast. To listen to our show on your Amazon Echo device, enable the AnyPod podcast skill. Ask AnyPod to play the Who New Podcast. This podcast is inspired by Doctor Who. The longest-running sci-fi show in history. And especially the revival, spearheaded by Russell T. Davis. Thanks to Russell, Sidney Newman, Verity Lambert, Ron Grainer, Delia Derbyshire and all those involved in the adventures of our favorite Time Lord. Your work continues to inspire and entertain. At the barracks, a Cyberman attacks. Using super speed, it takes Angie to Webley and Artie, where she is upgraded. What, you didn't see that coming? The doctor puts Clark... What, you didn't see that coming? (laughs) You want me to, I thought I had an accent. Should I do better? Oh, they're not laughing. I thought it was oh. funny. <laughs> Did you get the joke? No. No. Is it because the Cyberman is fast? It's it's, it's, it's oh. uh, no, it's um Avengers. Quick 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 Quicksilver. Silver. Oh. When he was attacking oh. Hawkeye. Right, oh. right, right. Yes. He goes really fast and it's like, well, You know, I thought of all crowds this <laughs> I know. Okay. I we have to good. tell our podcast audience, please watch <laughs> Avengers before watching <laughs> Age of Ultron. If you're going to watch Age of Ultron, you have to watch this movie and this movie and this movie. And then Ultron, and then you'll get the joke. Okay. So pause right now, walk out 13 hours, and come back. Have a nice marathon. Uh, anyway, who's had the lie detector test? I haven't. No, I, I turned they it They all, they suck. Never take them. They said I was a liar. Never. Oh. I had to take it again. And when I took it again, I was so angry that I had to take it again. I passed with flying colors because I was in a rage. <laughs> so they suck. No, I would be so bad. I would be telling the truth and it would be probably pinging me as lying because that's what happened even, to me. <laughs> even when I know I'm innocent, I feel like I act guilty. So. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, and then the other thing is the other thing is the way they do it on TV shows is total BS. That's not how they do it. Right. Yeah. They never surprise you with any question. Yeah, yeah. They just can't, you know, because it's it's your emotional response. Because because when you yeah exactly like if you are if you are uh, proposed a question that is upsetting, you're going to react emotionally, which negates yeah. uh, the, the 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 result of the test. So before the test even happens, you're presented with all the questions. You will be asked all these questions. Yeah, that, that way. When we start the test. So nothing's a surprise. Right. So if anything's going to stress you out, it's going to be the act of lying. And you can also reword the question. We have the, we have the, we have the ability to do that. I don't like the way that word, that question is worded. Change it. And then you agree on what the question will be. Mm-hmm. You can choose not, Brian, you can choose not to answer this. What was the lie detector test for? I'm a vicious person. Um, no. That's a lie. Good God, Eugene. Don't, God, that was such a straight face. Um, it does not come out of this. In this I was, you got to cut this out. That's why I'm talking. I yes, was a yes. bank. I was a bank teller and $1,300 wound up stolen. Oh. And all the, every employee who worked that day had to go through the lie detectors. And we who had to I? do it. <laughs> what? You want to know who it was? Awesome. Who was the person who charmed the lie detector giver, um, beyond belief, he loved her. Oh, 
it's great. She's fantastic. Oh, there's no way she could have done it. And two weeks later, she came in wearing all new clothes and quit. <laughs> so the one who passed with flying colors is the one I think did it. Um, oh, we had to go to another branch to have it done one by one. So all our friends at the other branch got us to see basically do a perp walk. And then they set us all up and did it. And I was terrified. And what really gets you is, sorry, if it's okay if I talk about it. Yeah. What really gets you is you don't, they, they're nice enough that you don't see the machine while you're being tested. So it doesn't influence you. You're not like sitting right next to it like you are in detective chair. Um, it's behind your back, but you can hear all the little arms uh, going. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't matter what you answer. The answer is irrelevant. The entire test tests how you react to the question. Because you're going, I gotta lie about this. And so when he's reading the question, you're hearing <laughs> when it's like, this is the, because I'm thinking this is the important question. This is the important question. This is the important mm -hmm. question. Not, I gotta lie, I gotta lie, I gotta lie. So and then. So same emotions almost, I would imagine. Exactly. You're nervous. Like I would be exactly. nervous, guilty or innocent. Yeah. Oh, I was, I was petrified. And that's why I passed the second time because I wasn't nervous. I was in a rage. And I was such in a rage that I was in calm. I mean, you've seen me, Frank. When I get so angry, I Your level. Down. <laughs> it's like, uh-oh. And I passed that one with flying colors. Now, two other people failed the first time as well. And one of them was a manager, and she was on antihistamines. <laughs> and then they wanted to fire her. They almost did fire her. Almost did fire her. And... At, at least now, I know every place that I've worked that has, like, the employment poster... I believe you have a right to refuse a yeah. polygraph. Yeah, and it can't like affect your guilt. I can't. Right, remember. but it could still affect your know, work. Yeah, sure. I can't remember what the what the options were at the time, but I was 18 and terrified. Oh wow! Yeah. yeah, I mean, this was in '86, so I don't remember what the laws were. They're probably different. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely if you don't take it, we assume it's you, kind of. Mm. So, yeah. I will never, I will never, ever, 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 ever take one again, ever. The, yeah. the, the, it wasn't the police, it was like the VP of the bank, because we all got interviewed first, which, yeah, that totally yeah. made sense, not a problem. And yeah, I was nervous during that, but yeah, oh, you got to. At the end, he goes, hey, you know, I just want to ask this, you know, uh, no big deal. But, you know, have you heard any of the girls talking around um, about having financial problems lately? And it was like... <laughs> the girls cackling in a barn about, oh, I want more money. It's just, ugh. It's like, no, get out of my face, you scumbucket. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's interesting. No, that's something I just wanted to know. This is going to be cut out. Don't worry about that. I don't care who knows. I tell everybody. I'm surprised you didn't already know. No, I, I don't even know who you are, right? Oh. <laughs> that makes sense. What a good old day. Okay, I'll I'll go through the cast real quick. <laughs> yeah.